0: Stevie, how's it going? It's going. It always makes me laugh because I say a really monotone three, two, one, go because we have to hit record twice, or we like we we have to do it to hit record, but then it's not recording, so then we say it again for the sake of the podcast. What I'm saying is that it's all a rouge, everything's a lie. When I say three, two, one, go, we have already gone. (laughs) This is the episode of disillusionment,
1: breaking the fourth wall. (laughs) How are you, Stevie?
0: Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know. We should do hooray. Because no. I feel bleh.
1: Okay, let's do a hooray. My grandpa got an eye patch today.
0: He <laughs> <laughs> looked so cute.
1: He takes selfies like Jillian. <laughs> it really, really
0: does. Funny. It's so precious.
1: Um, It, like, simultaneously looks like he's trying to balance his phone in his hands while also, like, looking it's it's as if he's trying to balance his arms and like he can't move his arms so he just like huh, he has to be
0: strays, yeah to, yeah
1: to fit the frame of the camera um and he now he has an eye patch because he's trying to figure out some visual issues
0: <laughs> <laughs> such a cute little pirate
1: yeah he is there's an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer wears an eye patch and he keeps switching. <laughs> Which eye he has it on. And so we were talking about that. <laughs> I love to talk
0: about um, how sexy Kramer from Seinfeld is. Oh my God. <laughs> it's an energy. It is, can I, right? Can you agree with me publicly? Because I know you agreed.
1: <laughs> no, I do think Kramer has a certain... Zuzh. Uh,
0: zuzh. <laughs> What's your hooray? Um... My mom's birthday is tomorrow, and I bought her a really fancy pr- food processor that she's been wanting, which feels like, like a big girl gift. That's really cute. <laughs> I got her a cute card. I already told Emily all of this. This is also fake. Everything's an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I also okay. um, got her a little card that has two coffee cups hugging um that says you're hot, which <laughs> is the cutest. So those are hoorays for me. I was really, oh, I guess I, I had a productive day. I just energy-wise, I feel like <laughs> You know? Yeah. That usually happens when you have productive days. Yeah. But I went to the storage place and got all my boxes to prepare for a moving. So that's exciting.
1: Um, I just remembered another hooray. Oh, my God. Emily, My women's shirt from
0: Florence Given came in. Oh, hell yeah. You already cut it. so cute, too. Yeah, it's so pretty. Emily could be a viral fashionista if she wanted to. I
1: do have like an eye for mixing patterns and colors and that you know yeah you do should we do the question
0: let's do the question all righty so we got a question that said hi hello hi hello back um it says i was wondering if you would have any tips on getting through a breakup so ultimately i think
1: the uh biggest piece of advice is um Spend time with yourself. Yeah. Um, surround yourself with, and that's not to say isolate yourself, but, um, s- you know, spend time with yourself. Take yourself out on dates. Go for walks in the park alone. Um, spend time reading mm-hmm. and doing things that you enjoy that make you feel abundant and whole and at peace. Um, surround yourself with people who support you and, who make you laugh and who hear you and listen to you. Also recognize one of uh, Jillian's favorite quotes, which is this too shall pass.
0: Mm. That's a perfect
1: quote for a breakup. And in
0: that passing, let yourself feel. Yeah. I feel like for me personally, the biggest mistake that I've made um, in going through breakups is what a great transition thank you is not allowing myself to feel and f- like mm. to a more extreme <clears throat> judging whatever way i do feel i think that what's most important is that everybody's grieving processes when experiencing any kind of separation like it like breakups happen and exist in many different shapes and forms and it's the non-romantic breakups that i've experienced that have actually been the most painful in my life um me as well yeah for sure but it, it's everybody's grieving process when going through those things is going to be different. And it's like, yes, it is a natural part of life that you outgrow the people that you love and everybody has different paths and that's normal. And that's really okay. Like, I don't know, we don't need to get into this now, but I don't know that I believe in monogamy. So like, I don't know that I'm, I believe that you're meant to be with somebody forever. Like every like, people are constantly growing and changing and yes, that's normal. Um, But that doesn't make it any less hard. And so in allowing yourself to feel however you're feeling and not judging that, I think is a really crucial step. Um, Because I know I, the way I process big things is that I deal with it right away and I'm very productive. And I'm like, well, this is how this has to happen. Let's take care of it. Very like, orderly like let's clean up let's make up let's all those things and then months later sometimes a year years later then I start to feel those emotions from it and I would feel like I was like what's wrong with you like you are insane Mm -hmm. for like this happened so long ago what do you why are you upset about it now and now Mm -hmm. when I when feelings come up from things that are in the past I'm like oh cool just, there's just more to deal with there. There's just more mm-hmm. to sit through and we, that's not, I'm not getting the right word. There's just more to explore in that um, area of healing that I'm experiencing and that's okay. Yeah. I think those are all
1: great points. And I think the biggest mistake that I've made in the past is, well, two, one is, is like the the notion that a strength, so I guess sort of along the same lines, but I think that the the notion that or the socialization, particularly for women that um, the strength of getting through something is more honorable than letting yourself feel exactly what you're feeling yeah because I definitely like a true Leo um, in separations and breakups that have happened in the past have felt like I was weak for, not being able to get over another hump and like not being able to be the bigger person and be the better person and like um constantly feeling like i had to subscribe to the idea that it's like well they'll see like how much better off you are and then like they'll regret what they did. Oh my god, yeah. When like that shouldn't even be a consideration that you have
0: yeah.
1: at all. And instead of focusing on my healing and focusing on the emotions that I was feeling and just leaning into them, I was channeling all of the resentment and the anger that I felt into, like, spite. (laughs) Into spite for the other person and in spite of for myself because I definitely also felt like there was something, like, I definitely took it very personally that, that what these people were doing was um an intentional issue that they had with me per i don't fucking
0: know what i'm saying like instead of acknowledging that people need to i don't know if this will bear with me i don't know if this is gonna connect but like when i go on auditions and things the biggest the best piece of advice i've ever gotten was not to take rejections personally and we've talked about this in like other realms of like romantic life like it's rejections don't have anything to do with you you're just not right for everybody the same is like that in in breakups it's like however this person is acting however they've treated you poorly or whatever occurred to make to spur this separation it has everything to do with what each of you are needing and not nothing to do with how the other feels about the other you know what i mean that was the i think the biggest issue is like i
1: was always like um i was i could I could never frame it as like this was this was simply like us outgrowing each other because I think so many of the separations that I've had have been so painful for me, where it's ended very badly, mm-hmm. and naturally because of that, you start to feel like like you have something to prove then because it's like you've been treated so horribly, and that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing that you have to prove is to yourself that you're able to um, continue living Mm -hmm. and continue healing and continue
0: growing. I think a really important thing to do, um, to be thinking about immediately when you're experiencing any kind of breakup is that you need to make sure your boundaries are firmly in place. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you need to maintain those boundaries because I think that is when it's the hardest to keep them. Mm Mm-hmm and it's and it's hard because it depends like if you're dealing with a friend breakup it's going to be more acceptable to reach back out because like i know in in a very in this cis hetero heteronormative society that we live in it's like oh my god girl don't call him don't it's not worth it and like that's like very much ringing in your ears but when it's friends or if it's a non-fucking heterosexual relationship like that can look different and like what you're hearing from the people around you might be different and just making sure that you're keeping what boundaries you need Um, and like emily said in the beginning like surrounding yourself with people that not only love and support you but will hold you accountable Mm-hmm. Because that's love.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that's a big thing too. Because I know for me personally, with a- any of the breakups I've experienced, m- majoritively romantically in this realm, um, I've it's always come back around. Like no breakup was ever a clean cut right away. Like it, it's always resurfaced. and it's only until recently that I finally cut ties with many people that were still like lingering in your life. And like, Mm -hmm. I look at those like lingering toxic relationships that you've tried to rid yourself of. They're just like energy sucks. Like they're just like, they're leeches and they're leeching off your life force and like your happiness and light and like, fuck, cut get that shit out of there. Like, Mm -hmm. keep it. And I think, and I think, um, what's difficult
1: about that is because one of, one of like the earliest breakups that I experienced, it was like, I sort of, we had a big falling out. And then um, I sort of, you know, we weren't really speaking for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, um, this person like started to try to wiggle their way back into my life. And because time had passed, I gave them another chance and I believe in second chances, 100%, like absolutely. Yeah. Um, There has to be tangible proof of that growth. Exactly. And the reality of it was that one, I didn't enjoy this person's company anymore. We had just, or at least I had outgrown this person 100%, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have, I didn't know how to articulate that back then and i think especially my parents did not encourage that that line of think of thought at all right uh so one i had outgrown this person and two i was still very very hurt by what had by what had happened and so cutting this person off right in the thick of it was very very difficult yeah but by establishing that boundary that i didn't even know was a boundary at the time yeah it kind of launched me into this very, 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 very necessary healing, mm-hmm. and so I think that the point being is that, like, whenever you have the, whenever you have the energy, whenever you have the um, courage to set a boundary mm-hmm. as difficult as, like, removing someone from your life mm-hmm. that no longer serves you, is. What's on the other side, whether that happens like in the thick of it, immediately after, or in your case, like a long time after, yeah, the other side is, is, is so much brighter. Oh my God. Yeah. But it's hard. But it's not as hard as the self-harm that happens while you still allow them to linger in your life. Yes
0: and it's not to say that you can't be friends with well well that's the thing it's like it depends on like what kind of yeah it depends on how toxic the relationship was um one because breakups happen over so many things um and like it could have just been circumstantial like and and then in in that case you just need to be so fucking gentle with yourself and i mean in every case but like really just like up to self-care so like it's really Like there's so many different situations, but um, like if the relationship was really toxic and it's with somebody that hasn't shown any effort to change that toxic behavior and prioritize meeting your boundaries then i you cannot be friends with exes and yeah like in that sense um but like you're so right because i mean even emily you witnessed me cutting off one of my final exes from like two years ago and that's been in the span of our friendship that's how recently i finally set that boundary and the immediate maybe not immediate It's like Florence Given says: like self sabotage feels great in the moment, but bad later in the long run. And self love sometimes can feel really shitty in the moment, but it will always feel better later. And like, it wasn't for a few weeks that I realized that so much anxiety was lifted. I wasn't experiencing the amount of anxiety that I was before because I wasn't seeing this person on my timeline anymore, or I wasn't like getting texts from them, or like, like wow. I, and then you feel so free and liberated. Boundaries mm-hmm. are very liberating.
1: And I think too, like after a breakup, like truly, I know we've already said this, but the most important, the most important part is giving to yourself mm-hmm. because you could go through a thousand different scenarios of what might happen in the future with this person, with other people. Um, once you start dating again, if you ever want to start dating, like you could, you could go off in a million different um, headspaces and possibilities for what the future holds, but none of those things will be done healthily mm-hmm. if uh, if you do not um heal whatever it is that you're feeling right now yeah because you don't want to go into a situation where you because right now like regardless of how it ended um you're you're vulnerable you're probably feeling vulnerable if you're need if you're wanting to like get over a breakup and you're wanting to heal through it presumably you're feeling very vulnerable mm-hmm. um and that is like a breeding ground for making bad decisions <laughs> and is. making very yeah. self-sabotaging decisions. Um, Being vulnerable is is so brave. Totally. The point is, is that use that vulnerability to like rebuild the foundation that you have within yourself mm-hmm. um, and like lean the fuck into it, like lean into it so that you fall on the ground like that's how far you need to lean into taking care of
0: yourself yeah seriously like that I think that's really good like that sums it up it's like no matter what the because we don't know what your situation is so no matter what the circumstance like it's just important that you like Emily said give to yourself um and i think that includes all of the things like that's setting boundaries that's self care that mm-hmm. that's surrounding yourself with people that make you happy that's distracting yourself that's being productive that's needing to wallow sometimes like that's
1: all of it and it's learning what lessons you can take from this and 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 focusing on reframing if you can in any way yeah because ultimately at this point it's like it's what you take from it you have the power to um Reframe what has happened in a way that will serve you um, going forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's just the most important part. Like, really, um, feed
0: yourself. Exactly. Go, go outside if you can. <laughs> like those are feats, especially in the yeah, beginning. Totally. Um, and don't judge yourself. Oh my God, don't judge yourself at all. And we love you are, you're the fucking prize. You are baby. the prize. You were the juiciest peach in the farmer's market.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: it's true. It's the truth. And we love you so much. And we're so sorry that you're, if you're in any pain and struggling right now. And to anyone. Yeah. Healing and growth and self-love and reflection and reframing. Mm-hmm. This whole thing can be like a big warm hug from us too. Yeah. Perfect. And if you want to, um, if you want to,
1: um, want more like specific advice, maybe for like whatever, you know, depending on how it, yeah, whatever your circumstances, you know, there's no, there's no maximum, uh, amount of questions that you can ask in our curious cat. I don't even
0: think there's a character limit, so. Have at it. Yeah. Go for it. And if not, then I hope this is helpful. Yes. Okay. Mwah. Mwah. Should we get into the episode? Yeah. Oh, wait. I also would
1: say, oh, um, Florence Given has recommended this book. I um, And I just picked it up recently. Um, it's called The Unexpected Joys of Being Single. Mm. And it really breaks down, I think, like, the one main thing that it does is it really kind of, like, puts a wall in front of... Um, um, the desire that we have to get back out into the dating world immediately, like for that validation, for that attraction, like all of that, but it doesn't have to be read immediately after a breakup. It can be read at any point. Um, but it definitely specifically focuses on dismantling this sort of like dating culture that we live in and why everything that you need is truly within you. Um, exactly. And so I I would highly, highly recommend that book. I, I just started it and it's I'm a very slow reader,
0: but what I've read, it's very good so far. Oh, cool, I want to read that. Um, also, What a Time to Be Alone by Chidera, who goes by um, The Slum Flower on social media. Anyway, should we get into the episode now? Yeah, let's get into the episode.
1: Okay. So this is episode 22. Yeah, 22. Yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, it's Soft Light.
0: Wait, fuck. Is it, yep. I think it's just 23.
1: No, it's 22. it's 22.
0: I think it's 23.
1: It's 22. Dude, Humbug have, was 20. Because
0: we only have two left after this.
1: Yeah, 23 and 24.
0: I thought there was 25 episodes in this season. No. Yeah, dude, it was 23. Are you kidding me? No. Everything's boring together. I was reading about this episode today, like reviews about it and stuff, and um, they were talking about how this was the longest season of the X-Files, I think because they like oh upped god. it because the season one did so well and then they go down a few episodes but this one is the only one they do like 25 and they're writing about how like it seems like everybody's just kind of like exhausted and ready to be done and i'm like oh my god that's how i feel right now yeah seriously i was trying to finish up the season okay so this is soft light episode 23 well, this is vince um Gill- my computer corrected to milligan vince galligan's first episode The presence of a man with a last
1: name Gilligan in a show with an (laughs) actress named Jillian is not great for my
0: eyes. Oh,
1: yeah. Jesus. We open on Hotel George Mason in Richmond, Virginia. It's this very fancy castle-looking hotel. Mm -hmm. They make that very clear. (laughs) We see a man. He's putting a do-not-disturb sign on the door, either because he doesn't want to be disturbed in the morning for... A nice little lion <laughs> or he's about to get laid either way either we'll way he's like for him don't bother me we then we see a particularly frazzled man who looks like he hasn't slept in weeks um in um coming out of the elevator and it just kind of hit me that this man looks like he could either be Um, a college student trying to make up a semester's worth of work in the last week of classes Mm -hmm. Um, just as easily as he could be the fun uncle who has like a mild drug addiction and an offshore trust fund but he still wears clothes with stains on them you're so right Um, so he's looking for a room he finds the room that he's looking for he's calling for morris he's saying that they need to talk and then the man that we see first, who, like, we're meant to think is... The one that he was looking for. The one that he's looking for um, is, like, fuck off, because this man is, like, screaming in the hallway. Right. As he's willing away our to be college dropout and or cool uncle with his mm-hmm. drink and his newspaper, mm-hmm. um, the lamp, like, fades and comes back on, which is suspect and will probably be relevant later. Mm-hmm. Just a little... Um, Inkling that I had. Mm-hmm. So, man in the hallway is still banging on someone's door. He says that Gail Ann is dead and that it's his fault. And this gets um, the man who we think is Morris's attention. Um, but Scotchman isn't Morris. We were misled, we were bamboozled. Mm-hmm. And we see that the first man goes to look out his people to see what all the commotion is. And he sees the fun uncle across the hall, banging on the door across the hall from him. Yes. And as he backs away from the door in the hallway, we see his shadow overtake the first man that we see, and he just evaporates into the ground in a blue light, leaving a burn mark on the carpet. This man runs away and is like, oh shit, not again. Just screaming down the hall really open like credit. inconspicuous you know so the open credits roll then we're like right into the action mm-hmm. Mulder and scully come up the elevator at this hotel scully says that they're that there have been two apparent abductions in less than a month plus the one at the hotel um scully says i wrote this before i knew that she was her student okay okay but I said, Scully says her girlfriend at Richmond, PA, are is at a standstill. So she told her they'd come have a look at the case and then her. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm
0: sorry that those dreams had to crash. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, she's an adult, so. Yeah, you're right. I love when Scully heads a case because, like, it's her contact. But also, I know when she brings Mulder in to her contacts, he's about to majorly usurp all of this. Totally. I'm really anti-Mulder this whole episode, and it makes me sad. Yeah, me sad too, um, but he's kind of a dick, so
1: it's warranted.
0: No, it's absolutely warranted, but, like, his hair doesn't even look good, so I can't even escape to that. Mm.
1: Yeah, he was really, like, this annoying little thumb the entire episode just like following Scully around so Mulder ever intrigued by Scully having a capital C contact asks who it is and she says that it's Kelly Ryan and she was Scully's student when Scully was teaching at the academy which is like very very pleasing to me and cute that a student of Scully's got into the field and is like kicking ass And it's probably singularly because of her influence on her. I know. So Scully says that she's a detective and has been bumped up to supervisor. And she sounds so fucking proud. I know. I just love her and her influential and outstanding impact on women Mm -hmm. in the show and outside of the show. That's perfect. So Scully says that uh detective ryan is nervous of her boss finding out the fbi are involved and i love that right off the bat we're already writing a woman in charge who just by nature of being in a leadership position as a woman must naturally be completely questioning her capability despite being entirely qualified and it's one of those things that plays into the entire entirely realistic but not intentional that the show does yes incredibly well
0: that was the perfect way to articulate it it's so accurate but not at all intentional so it's like just playing into normal life stereotypes in stereotypes yeah there's so much we, wrong with ryan's character we can just call
1: that um realistic but completely unintentional mm-hmm. so there's a really cute moment about four minutes into the episode <laughs> where scully introduces Mulder to, Cal- to Um, detective ryan and she says that she's heard a lot about him which prompts Mulder to turn to scully and say we'll talk later and scully cheeses so hard her lips almost tear through her face
0: it's it's so funny because i don't know if this will ruin like the moment but like Jillian as a person spaced out (laughs) like as she's saying it She's making this face where she's like grimacing, and then all of a sudden Mulder says, "We'll talk there." She looks at me and I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> it's also just funny because I was trying to imagine like how these conversations with Kelly went between her and Scully, uh-huh. like how Mulder even came up. Like, was was Scully just like invoking his name and? In- every single call they had together like completely unprompted or was like she referring to how brilliant um how brilliantly he handled like a similar case that she was calling Scully about or was like more personal and like did it involve Scully just like completely like gushing over him but I have a better idea of how that talk between them went later though between her and Mulder Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So Kelly explains that the missing man is Patrick newworth He's 52 years old. He missed his meeting he was in town for, so they filed a missing persons report. The room was secured from the inside, so there's no way someone could have broken in and as Mulder and scully are both analyzing the room for any evidence scully looks at something and kelly immediately rushes over with a smile on her face like agent scully what are you looking at i know the only time anyone values what scully's thinking in this whole episode yeah like learn from the best man for the job this very specific woman yeah named dana catherine scully so Kelly says they found no forensic evidence, only the stain on the carpet near the door. Kelly says the mark wasn't there before he checked in and that a similar burn mark was found at the previous crime scenes. So then Scully asks if this man was a smoker and, you know, may have just started meticulously putting out his cigarettes in an oval design on the floor. Mulder asks if they've run a test on it. Um, Detective Kelly says, Detective Ryan Why does she have two first names? Detective Ryan says it's mostly carbon with some potassium and trace minerals. Um, And like, I've got to say so far, she's doing a great job. I know. Like, believe in yourself. It's okay to ask a friend for help. I know. Another good advice for our beginning portion. It's okay to ask a friend for help. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Ask Emily for help on a daily basis.
1: (laughs) And I, you um so scully says that could be the material left as a result of of burnt flesh but that gets overshadowed by Mulder comparing his arm to the stain on the carpet what do you do um i hate when he cuts her off i'm like shut up it's really annoying there, there's <laughs> i don't want to do the bit yet but there's like a bit that's like classic frat boy like Mulder is essentially a frat boy in this episode
0: he is. Maybe that's why I'm so intensely turned off.
1: Yeah. Um, so then our brilliant detective just figures out every next step, just yep, one right after the other. <laughs> so he determines that the man was looking out the peephole. Yep. That then he walks outside and just plays with the light and realizes that the bulb is flickering. Um, so he tells Detective Ryan to get prints from the bulb. And to run those against a bunch of people. Honestly, I, who gives a shit?
0: Like, everything of this is stupid because he just, boom, had the answer. But why does he make Scully unscrew the bulb? He's right there and she can, like, barely reach it.
1: You're so right. She's on her like, tippy
0: toes, like, struggling next to him while he's talking.
1: That's so weird. This is flickering. Alright. Um, Scully, get that? Okay, so what exactly. I'm gonna need you to do is,
0: yeah. And meanwhile, is she's like, he. He's giving his fucking monologue about like what the next steps that need to be taken and she's like jumping next to him trying to get the bulb out.
1: So then he asked Detective Ryan for the name of the last missing person. Margaret was was neck-y. And at this point, my dude, you've been talking for way too long. Yeah. Like it was at this moment I was like, he needs to he needs to stop talking. So Mulder suggests that it's spontaneous human combustion and Scully, of course, gets angry because, of course, it would seem like he's being a smartass. So she reassures Detective Ryan and goes to slap Mulder on the wrist.
0: Well, it's just so fucking stupid because he's like, what, I think it is. And I'm like, yeah, but you realize that that doesn't, like, you realize how that comes off. He knows exactly how he comes off. and He's just like, Meh, I know. Like, he always has, like, I was reading a review that was talking about how Kelly Ryan had a chip on her shoulder but Mona's the one with a chip on his shoulder the whole time
1: yeah I go into that a lot at the end because I um her death is about him totally and I and it also reveals something deeper which is extremely troubling um but I read a review that called her um her prideful and arrogant yep and I was like um hmm Mm -hmm. that's not how i saw it but okay i wrote about we have probably have the same notes later um so he tells scully that he has over a dozen case files on rapid oxidation without heat and then they head to the previous victim's house when they get there Mulder twists the light bulb on this woman's front lawn and it goes on To which Scully says, wow, she must have been a whore. (laughs) Like, Scully literally says, darkness covers a multitude of sins. Like, what are you trying to say, Scully? (laughs) She says that when
0: Mulder comes into her bedroom and turns off the lights. She would, too. That's funny. She absolutely would, her poetic fucking ass. (laughs) Okay, I've had
1: enough of my heated blanket. (laughs) Sorry. So Mulder pulls out some stupid red light that he says he bought at a hardware store and he finds a print on the light bulb. Scully makes a joke about buying him a utility belt for his birthday and he's like, promise? (laughs) And then she's like, I mean, I'll get you something round and tight that makes you happy, but it won't be going around your waist.
0: Oh my God, Emily. (laughs) Okay, okay. Also,
1: there's, there's a moment where... There's like a GIF that someone <laughs> captured of this moment, and um, I tweeted quite a while ago that it looks like um, they're looking at like a baby catalog. I don't know if that is, if that's a thing. <laughs> it looks like they're looking at a baby catalog, and Scully's like, "I really want to get this one," and Mulder's like, "Why? You're not, you're not." And then like she looks at him, and he's like. What? Yeah, we have to put that in. It's cute. It's really cute. Um, it fits really well with their body language. They go into the her this woman's house, and there's the same burn mark on her snazzy dusty rose carpet, which is very fun. And they go into the kitchen. Mulder finds a train ticket that brought her back to Richmond on the same day the third victim arrived there. He suggests that maybe they were being hunted and that the hunter's working at the train station. Scully looks completely radiant while she's teasing her himbo about this um, spontaneous human combustion theory that he was so set on earlier that he now seems to not think. Um, Even though in reality, she loves that he can be equally as passionate about and devoted to different theories when he's presented, presented with different information. But then he just slaps all of us across the face and not in a good way with like some classic condescension. When he manages to both boss Scully around, like she's his secretary, and patronize Detective Ryan when he says, get on the phone to your young detective and tell her to get a detail down to the train station.
0: I literally wrote the exact thing. I was like, he's treating her like she's an assistant, just trying to like keep up with his excellence. Like it's so fucking gross.
1: It's like the way that that David delivers it makes it sound not as bad. And that's even worse because the reason that it doesn't sound as bad is because of the way he says it and because he's attractive. But if it was like some old gross man saying it, it would sound a hundred times worse.
0: That's so accurate for all of Mulder's behavior in this entire episode. If like imagine Skinner treating Scully like this. Exactly. Or like fucking like you're right, like an old gross man, like everything that he does in this episode, it would be unconscionable
1: he's an asshole doesn't matter scully from this angle is incredible and we'll post pictures but like the way the lighting is the bridge in the middle of her nose is like super highlighted with this side lighting Mm
0: -hmm.
1: plus she's like a little tanned or something or like she had some like extra blush action going on like across her nose and onto her cheeks Mm -hmm. which is like a one way ticket to be mine forever mm-hmm. just put blush all across your face mm-hmm. <laughs> um and her lips look so plump and so pink and so kissable like ew i hate saying that but like oh, so they cute. look like they look like right okay they look like you'd kiss her and her bottom lip would stick to yours and like peel off as you pulled away and like that's the shit i like okay oh they just look like that extra because they're like extra moist and plump. And I innocent. wish you could pop into this
0: episode and just take Scully away from Mulder, like, like honestly in front of him. Like me too. <laughs> and show her what she's missing. Show her how she could be treated. Me too. Like that.
1: He's so condescending in this episode. And then I'll take Mulder and just like whip him, you know. Yeah. No, no, no. You can take him and then you can do what happens in um, Seinfeld, which is this woman um, takes George to a hotel and she makes him get undressed, like get out of his Armani suit. Mm -hmm. She handcuffs him to the bed and then she just takes his wallet and his Armani suit. That's so hot. Yeah, that's how I want to be. That's what you deserve. And that's what Mulder deserves (laughs) in
0: this episode. I wish we could all get what we want, but as a Rolling Stone say, you can't, you can't always get, get what get you it. want.
1: <laughs> so we transition to this shadow man at the train station. He's smoking, the 90s man. It becomes clear that you can't see his shadow in the train station with the lighting. So yay for him because he genuinely seems like a good guy who like doesn't want to hurt anyone anymore. He's walking home. And some pigs roll – sorry, some cops (laughs) corner him and immediately pull their guns out. (laughs) Classic. Um, They close in on him, but he tells them to stay away from him. They don't listen, of course, and he runs into the darkness and says he doesn't want to hurt them, which, again, they really make you empathize with this man. I know. Um, And then they don't listen, so they both get zooped by his shadow – And it's a great tragedy. Mulder and Scully show up. Detective Ryan tells them that she sent men out here last night, like Mulder told her to. And they only found the two burn marks on the pavement when they got there the next morning. Then she says that it looks like a cop killer case. And she seems to be more upset about the fact, about that fact, than about the three other victims As if cops don't get into this line of work, recognizing that they're jumping in front of danger voluntarily as a profession, but interesting. Mulder's like, oopsie, I don't want to share my thoughts with the class yet. When Detective Ryan presents him with those facts and he listens and decides what he thinks.
0: His lack of communication (laughs) skills actually drive me up a wall. and I have no idea how Scully was so patient for so long
1: because she was trying to survive in the boys club.
0: You're correct.
1: Um, so Scully's like, okay, short of your theory here, and aside from your heart, what will, what will you share with me? He says that they need to look at the security tapes from the two days the t- the other victims were at the train station to cross-reference and hopefully find out who this motherfucker is, mm-hmm. to which Scully says, that's assuming that we're looking for a I'm motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> um i didn't know that was this scene <laughs> yeah a rare side note i'd like to make is that jillian looks absolutely breathtaking like whatever filter they had on the camera in this scene
0: mm-hmm.
1: made them both look like they were in a calvin klein or like tom
0: ford absolutely advertisement did. like totally did both of them and it's like these two are doing what fighting crime
1: no yeah I know, Mulder and Scully, mostly Mulder, as he should, go to look at the security footage in the train station. He notices the same man sitting there every single day for hours. And so he asks the computer person to blow it up, them to blow it up a little more. Meanwhile, Scully's in the background like, Mulder, I can blow something that will be a lot more fun than this for both of us.
0: (laughs) I'm happy you were horny and fun because I was truly just mad.
1: (laughs) I don't think I was horny and fun. I think I was angry and I'm releasing that (laughs) with with humor.
0: (laughs) No, it's perfect. Um, I was just in a bad mood when I watched. And so this, I was like. (sighs) That's fair.
1: So Mulder ignores Scully's telepathic joke and notices the symbol on Shadow Man's jacket. And it has a polarity magnetics iron on, on it, which is where the first victim worked according to our incredibly brilliant and capable medical doctor and woman, Dana Catherine Scully. Two polarity magnetics, they go. Scully's hair looks particularly immaculate here. The series can be called Little Baby Grows Out Her Bangs (laughs) because they're growing. They are growing. Also the title of your memoir. Also the title of my memoir. So she asks the person who answers the door if he recognizes the shadow dude. He says that it's Dr. Chester Banton, and he was his business partner. The photo of him is the first he's seen of him in five weeks, he says. And he says that he's shocked to see him alive because he was involved in an accident there. So as Mulder and Scully were standing there, um, and Mulder was just towering over Scully. Oh, I know. I, I paused it at a precarious moment. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was something really sweet, which was like Scully like looking back and up at him by like leaning her head back mm-hmm. and him like giving her a little smile or something, not even a kiss, Aww, just like it really cute. cute. So they go for a walk and talk, and this man with no name <laughs> explains that they did two kinds of research there: one that was very normal, and the other a side project of Chester's, which was researching dark matter. Scully is like very into this which is so cute of her because she's such a science nerd and she doesn't care who knows it I love that um so Mr. No Name explains that Chester was working to isolate a new particle which prompts Scully to recognize that this machine they are now looking at is a particle accelerator and she looks concerned about it mm-hmm. He says that what happened to Chester had started his – oh, he says that what happened was Chester had started his countdown to, like, start the accelerator, but then he had realized that he needed to make an adjustment in the um, target room. But when he went in, the door had locked behind him and the machine burned his shadow into the wall because he was in there when whatever happened happened. Um, so, this man goes on to say that when he came back and tried to cut the power, it was too late. But he said that Chester was calm, as if he wanted to experience his project on dark matter in some physical way. Um, so, he leaves the room, and our little agents deliberate. Mm-hmm. Scully says the ash looks like the same ash that they found at the other crime scenes. Perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but overall, they're unsure about what's happening. And we find out that Mr. No Name is listening to them on the computer outside the accelerator room. He's a sneaky, naughty boy. Sneaky, naughty boy. They decide to come back <laughs> for Chester at the train station.
0: Go back to the kitchen, dough boy.
1: <laughs> Men belong in the kitchen. <laughs> Scully makes a joke about her spooky boy being mentally ill while he's waving his hands over the, all over the floor
0: mm-hmm.
1: at the train station. Um, before he points out that there are barely any shadows cast because of the soft light in the station. And I feel like at this point, Mulder missed such a huge opportunity to flirt with Scully about how she looks good in this light. And I'm he really, did. really disappointed he didn't take it.
0: He's a dumbass. Yeah. His balls are in his abdomen. Yeah, seriously. Like,
1: he's too busy jacking himself off.
0: I know, literally. <laughs> to flirt with her. Like, you don't be horny it'll do you wonders so then Chester shows up and they chase him again
1: Scully running in heels <laughs> so with their super spooky skills they trap Chester between them please don't <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm like give me a look and I can't take it wish I was trapped between them chasing- <laughs> What makes me laugh about this scene is like this guy could be more specific about like his That's, shadow. Like instead of yelling, No, you're making a big mistake. You don't understand. It it doesn't it doesn't care. Maybe just yell, do not step in my shadow. Yeah, I was really
1: wondering why he didn't do that. And I'm at first I thought it was because he thought people would think he was crazy. But at this point, I know. At this point, it doesn't really matter. And then I thought, does he think that like they're working for the government? That like they're gonna take like that that they were gonna do what he didn't want to happen? Yeah. But it really doesn't make any sense. So at this point, Mulder shoots out the lights because he realizes that his shadow is what kills people. We cut to Chester in an isolated room at the Yalov y'all off (laughs) psychiatric hospital Mulder and Scully going to talk to him he explains to them that because soft light is the only thing that protects him and others his life is miserable and my guy is puffing away on the cigarette and not getting rid of any of the ash the ash is hanging on to the end of the cigarette by a thread and it's really representative of me hanging on to life at the minute (laughs) repeat so yeah so he wants to stay in a room with soft light i have a joke you ready yeah (laughs) with molder and scully in that room the light may be soft okay (laughs) but i'll tell you what isn't A good one. i'll be here all night i'll be here all night his dick still works fine even when he's being a dick scully asks chester if he believes the accident he was in altered him physically and he laughs and says you could say that he's like yeah i have a massive
0: juicy ass now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> he's like check out <laughs> these cheeks
1: <laughs> you could you could say that Chester tells them that his shadow is like a black hole and that he can't control it. So he says that he studies it, trying to figure out what it is before the government gets to him. Because he knows that they want him. And like, yes, Chester, everyone wants you. God damn, you're so needy. Everyone wants him in those cheeks. Everyone wants you in your juicy ass. (laughs) So Chester tells them they have to get him out of there. Right as Detective Ryan comes in and tells them they have to leave. When they do, they meet Detective Barron, who asks them why they're there. He's um, Detective Ryan's superior. And instead of ratting out her former student, Scully, very sexy of her, tells him that they were interested in it because of its unexplainable nature, which I'm sure Mulder found very sexy of her. Then Mulder flips the switch on her because Mulder's like, who are you to just take over and make the calls on Detective Ryan's case? Which Scully's like, ugh, I love my feminist himbo. Then Detective Barron is like, we know he's the dude. What's unexplainable about it? To which Mulder says, you're not appreciating this man's condition. Then Agent Ryan Agent Ryan, Agent Detective Ryan tells them to kick rocks and Scully's mad at her former student.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, like, as she should be. But, right. yeah, it's it, also clear that she recognizes the position that she's in as a
0: woman. In Exactly. It's like, it's clear profession. that she's like, yeah, wow, that's frustrating, but, like, okay, I, I get it, but fuck. Yeah. She gives her, like, a good, like, stare. Yeah.
1: Scully listens to her, and she's like, come on, Mulder. Girl power. <laughs> he does not say it back. And then Mulder gets fucking pissed. And... He says, I hope you know what you're doing, Scully, putting Detective Ryan's ambition ahead of all good sense Mm -hmm. in this case, to which Scully says, ambition? She's a woman trying to survive in the boys' club, Mulder. Believe me, I know how she feels. I need Scully saying this with her cheekbones and her jawline and her lips tattooed across my entire chest. Yeah. (laughs) It's just that simple.
0: Yeah, and it's like I didn't agree with everything that the movie blog said this time, but the one thing I did agree with was that about the, these lines, they said it feels like a piece of character development that deserves more than just a couple of expository sentences from Scully, both for Scully's development and Agent Ryan's. And like that really fucking sums it up. It's one of those things that's like, again, it's reality, but not intentional. Exactly.
1: It's like, this is something that is a huge part ...of Scully's development throughout the series. Like, this should have been the crux of one of her narratives. Yep. And yet... It's not... It's, it's, it's just assumed that she's struggling in the boys' club. Like, this is the only tangible evidence that she is struggling with this
0: exactly and it's given one line and it's like they're like oh one random fucking episode that doesn't even matter exactly they're like oh yeah this would fit in with like her storyline like she would like it like they're like they know in theory that it's hard for women in the boys club they know that in theory exactly but not but they don't care enough to actually try to think about what that would feel like they're trying to put themselves in the shoes of the women that they're othering in their workplaces because
1: women don't actually struggle with it, right? It's like, yeah, like women women exist in boys clubs. It's difficult. But then like they go home and they're fine, right? It's, it's not like small microaggressions and misogynies and sexisms that they have to deal with perpetually on a daily basis. And then that causing some type of mental degradation on them that doesn't happen. It, like they it exactly. only happens in the workplace and then they go home and they're fine. It all, it speaks to the stereotype and this trope of a strong woman, yeah. right? So it's like they don't allow Scully to actually show that this is something that she's struggling with because then she's not a strong woman who is able to persevere despite the fact that she's living that she's existing and working in a man's world and that makes the fact that if she were struggling
0: with that that would make her less honorable. Exactly. And like, they take no care to even imagine what that would feel like. And, but, and it's like, even the next line that Mulder says was the difference is you never put yourself ahead of your work and that's what's happening here. And it's like, yeah, yeah. At what cost though? Like, like she, of course, like Scully never puts herself ahead of her work at the expense of her health, of her safety, of her well being. She should put herself ahead of her work in order to live fully and healthily, but she prioritizes the lives of others and justice over literally her own life. And that's yeah. something Mulder cannot understand, and nor does he try to understand it. Because he's never been in the position where he needed to sacrifice himself daily. And like, like you said, it was a microaggressions in very small, but very real ways that build up over time and become horribly destructive. And it's like, he may be an outsider, but he's still a boy. And that's what matters most in a boys club. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. That's, that's the perfect way to say it. So yeah, like Stevie said, Mulder says then but you're not like other girls scully you're accepted in this boys club because you never put yourself because you never put yourself ahead of your work he says you would never succumb to the pressure of working in a man's world where you just do what your boss tells you out of fear of losing your job and trying to get ahead by doing things you don't think are right and that's why i love you and value you (laughs) she's
0: like yeah but like my life sucks because of it. Yeah, Literally. (laughs) She's like, I get needing to, to survive. Like everybody's capacities are different. And it's like, how much you're willing to sacrifice?
1: Well, and I I get into that more at the end because I think the last scene Mm. with them is like very revealing. Yeah. So he basically says like, you would never succumb to the pressures of working in a man's world. And it's like, she has though, just not in front of you. Yeah. And not because of you. So like, relax she's had to sacrifice plenty and forego so many morals of hers to get to where she is so don't pretend like she hasn't just because she hasn't told you or you haven't seen it yourself Mm -hmm. like women get pretty good at healing from that on our own yep and how do we do it by blasting Alanis Morris in the car on our way home from work every day absolutely Gatekeep, Gaslight, girl Girlboss.
0: <laughs> that should be the name of this episode.
1: <laughs> so Scully essentially tells him that Chester displayed just about every textbook indicator of delusion. Mulder says he's clearly scared. We saw what happened. We saw the evidence. And as she's talking, he's thinking about what he's going to do next. And then he's like, he, he pulls a, okay, will we stop talking for a second? Whoa, wait, wait, wait! Just one second. Like, wait, wait. Stop talking for one second. I just, I just need to say something. <laughs> that's why he's a frat boy. Have you ever oh seen that god. TikTok of that guy pretending to like he's? It's like POV. A frat boy approaches you in a bar. Oh my god! Yes, yes, that's, I know. This is Mulder, and this that's Mulder in the scene. Wait, wait! Just stop talking for a second. Let me let me just say something really quickly. Um. Except for instead of in that TikTok where the guy is like, I just need to say, you're, you're like, so beautiful.
0: That TikTok was so accurate. It's, like, actually really – it's very uncanny. It's, it's so uncanny.
1: And just the, the only difference is, is that Mulder ends by saying, I know what I'm going to do, so peace out. Yeah. But Scully's hot as fuck, and he has porcupine hair. So I hope she went back to the hotel and had a long bath. Me too. So Mulder goes back to the train station to meet the man who – Gives him all of the answers he can't find himself, Sloppy Toppy. Except this time, he only comes to break up with him. (laughs) I know. So Sloppy Toppy pretends to not know who Chester is or what he is. Mulder falls for it. And in the next scene, we see this brilliant acting from Sloppy Toppy
0: play out. I was just going to say, like, I think that they should have developed Sloppy Toppy more than they did. Like, he definitely, like, they definitely developed Deep Throat a lot, and even Marita even more. And I think this guy, like, none of them are great, but this guy is easily the best actor of them all. Yeah, it's just, I feel like they could have done a lot more with him, and I think that's a shame. I agree. Like, Deep Throat was a horrible actor horrible oh my god i remember when i first saw an alien i'm like what's wrong with you i
1: remember when they first invented chocolate it's <laughs> literally deep throat so then sloppy Toppy goes to save chester like Mulder, <laughs> like Mulder wanted him to or we think he's saving him and sloppy toppy nearly dies the two dudes that he brought with him die chester escapes because sloppy toppy lets him And I think this is an example of something we haven't seen, which is that Mulder knew more than Sloppy Toppy. Mm -hmm. I can't say anything seriously calling him that. But I I think that serves to instill this like wavering of faith in him, this seemingly all knowing power who's absolutely above Mulder. Mm -hmm. And so I think that his face when he sees what's happened to the two men that he brought with him. It like evokes a really chilling sense of fear in audiences because if he didn't know the dangers of this man, like what else didn't he doesn't he know? Yeah. And it all happens so quickly, and I think that that all serves. Um, I think that all serves like the chilling nature of, of of how um, even he is able to falter. That's a really good. We point. haven't seen up, up until now.
0: That's a really good point. And like the fact that it happened so quickly is a great point because it's like it's so horrifying that like in a millisecond somebody's
1: gone. Two lives are gone. Yeah. And so that that's the other note that I made, which was like it also shows this like total lack of remorse you have to have for those whose lives you risk. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't what Mulder teeters on the entire series, but ultimately um, or and that is what Mulder teeters on the entire series, but ultimately um, Scully's presence is enough to say for him to say, "I don't want her to get hurt anymore." So he's yes. able to pull back. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was just is- him, he would have been dead. Season one. <laughs> well, the thing that I'm questioning is like, if it was just him, would he have the murderous capability that Sloppy Toppy has?
0: That's a really good point. Maybe not in the beginning, but I think he would have ended up there out of desperation. Right? Yeah. that's a re- Which I've never actually thought about.
1: That's interesting to think about because I think it also falls into Mulder's inability to find a middle. Like, he, he can only go to extremes. So he either would have been dead very early on or he would have ended up as um, numb, as sloppy toppy. And I think we do see him very unsteadily on the line between being very numb at times and and like being
0: able to function Mm -hmm. i agree and it's like he either would have died like just like in pursuit of this truth he would have become as bad as them or he could have feasibly killed himself like Mm -hmm. i like in in the season five finale or season four finale into season five when they fake his death and make it look like a suicide um like that's a very real possibility for him in, in the fact that this truly is his whole life, totally, and like, especially with the threat of losing Scully as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: like that's even further evidence that like without her like we were, not that that's healthy, but not that that's healthy, and also
1: that's that's that goes back into I know this discussion that we've had, which is like it's really unsettling to view her as someone who saved him because
0: mm-hmm.
1: blah. but I think it's like. Because while that's while that's um, doing a, a grave injustice to Scully as a woman, um, as within their relationship, um, it's allowed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because, we <said> because, so. <laughs> because we said so. Because um, we said so. Don't believe us, just ask us. Yeah.
1: So Mulder and Scully talk and they um, recognize that Chester probably wants to get this thing under control. So Immediately after his escape, he likely would have gone to the lab where the accident happened. Mm -hmm. So on that hunch, they head to the lab. Yes. We transition to the lab now. Chester and his business partner are there. He explains to him that he is the dark matter they were studying, that the dark matter is inside of him. Detective Ryan shows up and tries to arrest him despite him saying that people will die if she arrests him, she's adamant about it, and oopsie, she gets swallowed by the ground.
0: It's just, like, I could talk about why this is fucked up for probably a really long time, but I think majoritively I just hate that they kill Agent Ryan because it feels like they're punishing her for having ego and ambition, which is the same exact ego and ambition that puts men ahead in all male-dominated fields.
1: That's the exact point, exact point that I make later. <laughs> yep. Like, well, and it's frustrating too, and that's just compounded by the fact that I remember when I watched this episode the first time, I was actively like, "Yep, that was what she deserved," because I was like, "Yeah, she 100% let her," like that was silly of her to show up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Like I fully remember thinking that. Um. And who boy, wow, was I um, shrouded in indoctrination because what was she supposed to do? Yeah. And like, then I don't even, I don't want to get into this even more, but it's like, how many tiny acts of submission and acts of control did she have to undergo that made her question her capability that led her to have even the slightest misguided confidence in that moment that made her do something that um because she wasn't acting
0: mm-hmm. from
1: a place of ego where she was like no I know how to do this like I am confident So, like what all of the little things that led up to her not feeling like she was capable of handling that case on her own that led to her death that's a good point so Chester and his business partner get him into the lab and as he's locked inside, his business partner flips on him like a little bitch boy and instead of trying to help him so the government doesn't use him for experimentation, he tells them he's actually working with the government and he calls them, them, I don't know who it's supposed to be, um, to tell them he's got him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Until he gets like shot and Sloppy Toppy shoots him. And then Sloppy Toppy, Go ahead. When Chester's like, what? Who's there? He's like looking through this little hole in the door. He's like, what is there? And
0: Sloppy Toppy just goes. I know. (laughs) So we definitely have to put a gift somehow. (laughs) I'm (laughs) yeeting into the screen. It's so fucking funny. Stone cold expression on his face. It's,
1: it's It's also so funny because his expression is such a polar opposite to Chester freaking the fuck out. Uh, like yeah. sloppy toppy
0: stone cold <laughs> face. <laughs> he looks like like he's your dad when you wake up your parents in the middle of the night. Like mm-hmm. your head heading their head into your room being like what yep. are you doing? P-
1: POV you're a goldfish in a second grade, grade classroom and Doug has just told you you, the professor, that there's something wrong with the goldfish. <laughs> yeah. So Mulder and Scully get to the lab and they see that Detective Ryan's car is there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they see that she's presumably died because they see the ash on the floor. Um they follow the noise of the accelerator to the lab where they see on the screen um Chester evaporate into his shadow, leaving a burn mark on the wall. But it's suspect because the lab was sealed from the outside and Chester seemed to be already unconscious when, they, when he was inside the lab. Mm-hmm. So we transition to Mulder talking about sloppy toppy again. And it's funny to me because this is such a male trait. Like he really said to Mulder, don't contact me unless it's absolutely necessary. I won't show up at your beck and call.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he just shows up three times in the same episode.
0: <laughs> literally and also um, um yeah but i'm low-key attracted to sloppy toppy i think that's rad
1: he's a very confident he's very uh, i think that's rad he's, really he's confident, very confident he and like his like yeah beard is all, like he's like he's built like uber confident he is he's really intelligent um he's
0: mysterious yeah like I'm 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 very I think but I said I, I think I said low-key but like it's a it's it's high-key okay I think you like a little bit of mystery I do
1: okay like a little bit so, of that makes sense yeah yeah okay Julian
0: I like to like not know if you're gonna hurt me you know <laughs> oh, God. we are not encouraging
1: this behavior that's no, not good
0: I, I'm aware of it I'm not actually um, sneaking out sloppy toppy <laughs> in my room with my vibrator
1: so basically Mulder recognizes that sloppy toppy used him to get to chester because he already knew about how dangerous he was so Mulder pulls a you're not breaking up with me i'm breaking up with you because he doesn't want to be used as a pawn again to aid in the exact business he's trying to fight against but then sloppy toppy is like are you sure you want to go into this alone And I was like, I swear to sweet baby Jesus Christ, if he doesn't say, I am not alone, referring to Scully, I will lose it. And, of course, he doesn't. Like, how perfect would that moment have been if he just said, I'm not alone, bitch?
0: So much more. Oh, that makes me so fucking mad. Like. And there are definitely some moments in the show where they play up on him being like, I have Scully. But this writer just didn't even think about Vince. The fuck? Like, what? Well, it's also his first time writing for the show. How familiar was he with the characters? But but even...
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, how, how could he be expected to rem- remember the other main character?
0: How could he be? How could we hold him to such a high standard? You know, how can we expect him to, like, know the dynamics of the show and to value the other lead? Like...
1: Yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's almost like, it's almost like um, just the fact that he was a man and he was a writer made him qualified enough to write on a series that he had never been a part of. Um, but the nature of being a woman, despite having been on the series for seven years, Mm-mm. still wasn't enough of a credit for some woman to write an episode. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. We'll let you sit with that for a second. <laughs> We're just, no, and now we'll have a moment of silence. Sometimes you just need to give the blatant sexism space to just really, you know. Yep. It's like it's like right after. Like marinate. It's right after a man makes a really racist joke, and before you call him out on it, you just let him sit in the silence of no one laughing. Just just let the joke hang for a sec, and you're like, yeah. So, of course, he doesn't mm-hmm. say that he's not alone, referring to Scully. And Sloppy Toppy just says that he didn't kill Chester and ominously walks off. Mm-hmm. We cut to Scully at Detective Ryan's um, burial at the cemetery. I was really emotional about the fact that she died. I was going to say, this is a really upsetting and really moving scene because um, Scully, it's its focused on Scully, And she, there's there's a moment where she looks at, sort of like has a moment with um, Detective Ryan's headstone. And she's clearly thinking about the similarities between herself. I mean, there's a million things going through her head, I'm sure. But uh, prominence of uh, Detective Ryan's dates on there. Like obviously, of course, highlighting how young she was. I'm sure were at least in Jillian's acting made me feel like, you know, of what was going through Scully's head was this just as easily could have been her. Yeah. On on a different day in a different case. Um, and then just like the awesome responsibility that Ryan was her student and came to her for help. And I'm sure she feels like she failed her. Yep. In like the ultimate way. And it's all Mulder's fault. Yep. <laughs> Contextually... It's really interesting and telling. And Jillian does an absolutely remarkable job at conveying all of that meaning um, visually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause who would I be if I didn't comment on the visuals? Yes. Um, she looks stunning. She's in a plum skirt suit with like the broadest shoulder pads I've ever seen. And the plum with her auburn hair and her wine colored blouse just sit with that color palette for a moment mm. so she walks away she sees Mulder. he looks like he's like off to the side he looks like her annoying biker boyfriend who borrowed his dad's <laughs> suit but like doesn't do well at funerals so he just stood in the back in his shades like waiting for her yes that is so accurate i think the line that jillian delivers next is probably one of the most powerful lines in the entire series and i'm saddened that it's never talked about um but scully is clearly broken Mm -hmm. after this case she's so upset and she says this shouldn't have happened none of this should have happened and she's putting that out there as just like a general fact but she's very rightfully pissed off at Mulder because he didn't do what was right. He did what he thought would protect the truth, mm-hmm. which just goes back to the last episode, um, the last episode's narrative, which was the struggle um, Mulder is having with balancing his devotion to the truth and exposing that with knowing what's right when in order to save lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I be honest? Yeah. I like this. You're absolutely right that this line is one of the most powerful lines in the series. And I, and I, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but like, I feel like it could have been if Jillian had actually upped the stakes a little bit. Like, I feel like it was almost like a throwaway line in this. I mean, granted she wasn't working with much because it was the last line. Then Mulder completely changes the subject. That's, that's not yeah. addressed, but it does feel like a throwaway line. And just like, I'm sad about this whole scene.
1: I think it feels like a throwaway line because of, um, again, it's the realistic but the unintentional.
0: Yeah. Um, exactly. Because like this whole scene does, had the potential to be really powerful and it, yeah. it just wasn't. Because it absolutely gets completely
1: overshadowed. I wouldn't even say overshadowed. It gets fucking bulldozed yeah. by Mulder's ego. Mm-hmm. Um, literally in a second. Yeah. Just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, like I was thinking about this whole ending and and why Scully, I I thought about what she said a lot Mm -hmm. um, after I finished watching the episode. And I kind of came to the conclusion that like Detective Ryan was stuck between a rock and a hard place. We know this because she's in the boys club as scully was able to explain to Mulder, although as we've highlighted not as fully as she should have been able to and because of that detective ryan doesn't want her superior to know she needed outside help especially because this was her first case Mm -hmm. after being promoted having said that her inability to share with her boss that she's brought in outside help leads to the loss of a lot of lives including her own Mm -hmm. um which again, what we highlighted earlier, just suggests that women ought to pay for their pride and arrogance, which this wasn't even those, those two things. In her situation, it's fighting, despite your physical exterior being presentably female, to be taken seriously. Um, even when, you're, when you've asked for the opinions of others, it's, it's saying that you ought to pay for that with death. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately her inability to make it in this boys' club that results in her death.
0: Yep. So it's like – That's what happens if you you don't compromise something, be that yourself or your morals. Like Scully sacrifices herself at the expense of maintaining her status in the boys' club, and other women sacrifice their morals and by joining the ranks, see Margaret Thatcher exactly or you die exactly. Like, exactly or you die you literally get or chewed up it.
1: yeah and swallowed by the voice club mm-hmm. and this is just a um she wasn't able to make it in this world exaggerated to the most obviously fatal yeah um lengths yeah. um and i think that scully is scared that she'll be forced to make that same decision and that she'll be in danger again and again because she's trying to survive a boys club. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this of course continues to happen. And then I think on top of all of that, she's cognizant of and unsettled by the fact that Detective Ryan's actions harmed others in the process. And so it's like, there are so many compounded insecurities and 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 worries that scully is facing and so i choose to i don't know the way i totally hear you i think that the way that jillian delivered it just really spoke to me for some reason because it really really stuck with me and i really thought about it for a long time after i saw it -hmm. um and so i think that like another part of that is that um scully just cares so deeply about victims um and so she's worried about herself but she worries about victims even beyond herself Mm -hmm. and so all of that compounds on top of the other one and that's why I think the scene is really telling.
0: Um, it absolutely is, and it, I think it is like uh, really unsettling. Again, like so much of this episode has been, um, because it's exactly what you said in like the first five minutes. It's realistic but unintentional.
1: And, and I think too, it
0: hits the hardest with the scene.
1: Yeah, and it's just like the comparison, which is that men just get to be arrogant and be egotistical and blame the forces that be for anything that might go awry in the process that's just the way that it happened. Like, that's just the way the cookie crumbled, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like that dichotomy, of course, coming from Scully, the only voice of reason and empathy and justice when she says that none of this should have happened. She's the only person um, able to reconcile the fact that, like, like, you fucked this up, Mulder. Like, none of this should have happened. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then, like we said, only for the writers to gloss over that massively important point from Scully again that's actually the true backbone of this story, not Mulder's idiocy in trusting Sloppy Toppy with everything.
0: Exactly. It's like Mulder's whole arc isn't even the point. That exactly. And it's like, and they um, keep doing this unintentionally. I'm like, do you guys not see what you're doing? Like it's getting really obvious. It's just frustrating because like the abundant and
1: profound and captivating narrative is right there it's, it's right, right there. in front of you yeah.
0: just reach out and take it it's right there that's and I think that's exactly how I feel about her entire reproductive plot line totally like, you are so close to the best plot line ever and you're just
1: because it wasn't intentional yeah their best I, plot like- line ever they, they tried to mold a Michelangelo out of some fucking play-doh with Mulder's <laughs> narrative. <laughs> when they already had a piece of fucking marble ready for them it's, with Scully's narrative. The narrative. Yeah, exactly. Like,
0: <laughs> and it's like I criticize that I wish Jillian had up the stakes more, but what I really miss wish is that the the writing was centralized around that narrative is what I'm missing. That she was just given
1: the space to like actually make a point yeah. and not have this all reverse back to to some fucking bolder whining. Yep. But who cares? Because women are silly and make mistakes and are we really surprised that Detective Ryan put her emotions and her pride before common sense? Like, that's not exactly women's strong suit, as if the entire system wasn't working against her that led her to the choice she was forced to make that Scully supported her in. Just two women against the system. And are we shocked that one of them had to pay to make it out with her life? No. So Mulder pulls another, yeah, yeah, stop talking for a second, (laughs) to Scully's moment, to say that the other um, doctor, Chester's business partner, is missing. And now Mulder's like, I know the answer. Okay. This is all aside from the fact that he didn't even have the fucking decency to show up at this woman's funeral on time. Yep. He's being so smug about everything. He tells Scully that maybe it wasn't Chester and the accelerator that they saw as if fucking sloppy toppy didn't tell him that. He's acting like he yeah, perfect. babe. I fucking solved it. Like, oh, I'm such a genius. His fucking furrowed forehead and his sunglasses. Like, the sunglasses really you top this whole fucking thing off. Didn't because he, the he to take
0: them off when he talks to her at this funeral.
1: He is the physical embodiment of being completely unbothered as he delivers her information that someone else handed to him. Yep. Like. So Scully's like, well then, where the fuck is he? And we cut to Sloppy Toppy walking down a hallway to meet Chester's business partner while they study Chester. So Sloppy Toppy was a part of it the whole time, as was Chester's partner. And Chester's crying because they're experimenting on him. Boo-hoo. fucking who? That's the
0: episode.
1: And that's the end of the episode,
0: What's funny is I remembered liking this episode because I was like, yeah, there's this young female agent, and like, she's like, Scully takes her under her wing that I washed it, and I was like, oh, no, fuck me, right? <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Never mind. <gasps> silly, silly, silly little thoughts. Silly little thoughts. Okay, do you want to do a quick Jillian's Corner? <laughs> Jillian's, Jillian's Cor- Corner. Okay, so in light of our beginning discussion about um, just like taking care of yourself and growth and in hard times, all those things, we thought that we'd read the letter that Jillian wrote to her younger self. Go for it. Okay. It says, Dear Jillian, you were completely and utterly (laughs) self-obsessed. If you spent a quarter of your time thinking about others instead of how much you hate your thighs, your level of contentment and self-worth would expand exponentially. Exponentially again. (laughs) Sorry. One thing I learned way too late in the game for my own good was that you can effectively increase your self-esteem by doing esteemable things. Therefore, I have signed you up to build homes for the homeless during your entire summer vacation. Your Christmas will be spent serving food at a battered woman's shelter, and Easter is designated to reading stories to children in the pediatric cancer ward. Four months out of 16 years dedicated to human beings other than yourself, you have gotten off easy. Oh, and honey, expand your horizons. Your world is a bigger oyster than your low self-esteem wants you to believe. Oyster. Love yourself. say that all the time. I know. Love yourself, think of others, and be grateful. I love you, I believe in you, and I look forward to respecting you. Need you, us. P.S. Follow your dreams, not your boyfriends. And if that doesn't feel like the letter we all need to read to our younger selves, I don't know what does.
1: See, it really bothers me when she sells herself short because she is so capable in literally every single realm of her life and in everything she takes on. Like, that is so beautiful. I know. She's such a talented writer. I know. Among everything else that she's talented at. Mm
0: -hmm. That's really moving. It's really moving. And it's like, I don't know, it, it, to put this in perspective for you, like, that's how I feel when you sell yourself short. It's just like, so I just want to shake you and tell you how incredible you are. And so when you're feeling like that towards Jillian, just imagine that's how people feel about you and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate
1: you. Mm-hmm. It's funny because... That is how I feel about you, but I'm so convinced that you have a confidence in you that just falters sometimes that all you need is a little nudge out of that place. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so I feel the exact same way about you. Thank you. I I don't want to shake you. I just want to give you a (laughs) a little boost.
0: And I feel I truly, I think that's how most I know like that's how most women feel. It's just that like you're so out how- what she wrote in the letter? Both. Like both what we're talking about and what she wrote in the letter. Like it's like you um there's so much harder on your on yourself and your and younger versions of you than you would ever be on your best friends. hmm And it's like and but and it's like so I relate so much to what she's saying, but also I'm just like, girl, you've done so much. Mm-hmm and so it's just it's just really
1: reassuring and it's really revealing in the best way to see her so openly reflect on um her younger self and a lot of the insecurities that have threaded different parts of her life and to so just treat that version of herself with such gentle kindness Mm -hmm. um I don't know. I just, it just makes me love her even more. I know. It's just a really beautiful letter. a really beautiful letter. I read it all the time. That's one of my favorite things
0: I think she's done.
1: It's, it's also funny to hear her say that to her 16 year old self that she was self-obsessed and then mm. in one of her most recent interviews refer to herself as self-obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a Leo. So some things never change. You know what? We got to cut her some slack. She has learned to evolve with that and balance that out with other aspects of her life, I'm sure. And so it is not all encompassing mm-hmm. and all consuming. Yeah. No, because she has grown. Yeah. And you all can too. <laughs> and you all have. And you all have. And you have. And you have. Stevie.
0: Emily. <laughs> Anyways, that's our episode. That's our episode. Yeah, we didn't really have anything to say. We just wanted to
1: read it yeah. because it's Women's History Month. Because it's women. Because women. Because women. The answer's
0: always women, right? Women. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> and on that note, we love you. Love yourself. <laughs> um, be gentle with yourself. Cherish yourself. And stay away from dark matter. We'll see you next time. And Peter Morgan. And Peter Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's included, listeners. You always beware. Beware of the wild beast. <laughs> okay, we have to go. We'll see you next time. Okay, we love you. Bye. Wait, no, I'll see you next oh, time. Oh, wait. On... No. Oh, on. The the Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>